0: We are starting, or uh, we have yesterday started a month of prayer. Um, we have entitled it, We Have Not Stopped. Uh, it comes from Paul's letter to the Colossians in chapter 1, verse 9, uh, when he simply hears about their faith and their love in Christ Jesus and simply reminds them that he's not stopped praying for them. And upon uh, some study, it discovered, we discover that, Paul does this with most of his letters to the churches, that he remembers them in prayer and he doesn't stop praying for them. And I thought for this month of May, it's important for us as a church to have a month of prayer. Uh, Simply praying is not about making people feel guilty because they're not praying enough. Uh, Praying is about us coming and just uh, focusing our time uh, and some of our stuff that we're doing upon God and believing God for what he's going to do both in our lives and for our church. Uh, And so that's why we have called it this. And you can follow along in the devotional booklets that we send out, that each of the days in the devotional booklets are tied to a thought uh, from what we're going to be speaking on over the next five Sundays as as we do that. So we follow Paul's example because Paul wanted to pray for the people in the churches that he was writing to. And by way of introduction this morning, If there was one spiritual discipline that that I certainly, speaking on a personal level, uh, found challenging over the time that I've not just been a Christian, but also in ministry, it, it would be prayer. Now, that might sound strange coming from uh, a pastor, but the reality is this, and the truth is this as well. We don't often drift into the spiritual discipline of prayer. Uh, It has to be something intentional uh, by where we set aside a time and space to pray, uh, not just to present our request to God, but also to listen to him as well. And I've discovered that the way to do that is by being intentional, that if you drift in, try and drift into it in a sense, and by way of feeling, oh, I feel like praying at the moment, or I don't feel like praying, you'll you'll probably never do it. It has to be intentional. One of the things that Paul teaches us all the way through his prayers is this intentionality, actually, that he sets us Side, not just time uh, the energy, the space, but also brings before God uh, prayers other than, and, and often we, we will all do this because I do this as well, that our prayers often get limited to to bless you, uh, heal you, and provide for you. And that's the reality sometimes of our praying, which is nothing wrong with those prayers because God is listening and we're presented with requests. But if we only ever pray whenever there are requests or whenever we are in trouble then there is a difficulty that that's trouble in itself that we're only coming to God when we've got a need where God actually wants more than that from us so his desire is a relationship with us that grows in spiritual maturity and more often than not that comes through the time that we spend in prayer there was one standout thing that Paul does, that Paul's praying for others is the product of his passion for people. The, the people in his churches matter uh, to him, that actually praying for each other is something that we must intentionally do. There's something that if we want people to grow, if we want people to receive the, the answers from prayer for God, Paul sets a tremendous example of praying for others, simply because he's passionate about people. His is that they would grow spiritually. His his desire is that they would grow in maturity. So over these next uh, five Sundays and next Sunday, Pastor Reese is looking at uh, another of Paul's prayers in Philippians 1, verse 9 to 11. This month will help us as it challenges us and encourages us. Now, there are a couple of things people can do here because we don't want to make people feel guilty about praying. We've, We've sort of been down that road before whereby you can say certain things to make people feel guilty about praying. The next prayer meeting you have in church, you think revival has come because everybody's come because they're like, well, I feel a bit guilty about what was said on Sunday. And then it just drifts off back to the normal. We're not doing that. We're simply coming to you and presenting uh, the challenge in a sense of why we should pray as we're building our relationship with God. Whether you choose to follow along in the devotional books, that's your choice. Whether you choose to make this month the, the month that you sort of intentionally come along to either the prayer meeting that is on Tuesday night and in a couple of weeks, that's your choice. Uh, Whether you come along to the extra nights of prayer that we do in church and the two nights that we go out and just pray around the community, that's your choice. We're not going to do any of this by guilt. We're just simply going to present to you what we believe God says through his word, through the Apostle Paul, as he prays for uh, other people in the churches that he writes to. And the first prayer that we're going to look at is the one in Ephesians 1, verse 15 to 21, when it says this. Paul writes to them and says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. and seated him at his right hand in their heavenly realms." There are five prayers that we're going to look at over the next five weeks. Two of them are in Ephesians. Uh, And both of the prayers that Paul prays, and immediately what stands out for you in this prayer, is God's highest desire uh, for the followers of him. Uh, And Paul does this because Paul's passion is people. His passion is that people would grow spiritually and in maturity in God. And we see that Paul shows three concerns here for the church here in Ephesus. we see what he does the first one is is he writes to them he writes to them. He writes a letter to them, and Ephesians is a tremendous letter to the local church that speaks half of doctrine and theology and the other half of how we put that doctrine and theology into practice. So Paul writes to them to encourage them. The second thing he does is he preaches to them. Uh, and so he's not just writing a nice letter that just, how are you? has a family? Everybody? He's writing them because he's preaching to them through his letter. And as he writes this, obviously, we are reaping the benefit of that by preaching it still over 2,000 years later because it's a living word of God. But he's preaching to them as well. So he's challenging them because in challenging people to grow and praying for them, you've got to preach to them. You've got to share with them what the word of God says. And so he's written to them, he's preached to them. And the third thing that he does is this, and he prays for them. Uh, and now that's a, a strange thing to put when you think, well, we naturally should pray for them. But I remember being taught very early on in my Christian life that those that you preach at, you must pray for. And I thought, isn't that a tremendous thought? Those that you preach at, you must pray for. It mustn't be a preacher that just simply just preaches at people to tell them uh, what they need to do and and, uh, almost in a sense, try and fix them. Those that you preach at, you must pray for. And Paul sets that example here in Ephesians when he does that because he makes their spiritual growth, their maturity, their discipleship, the, the highest priority that the Holy Spirit would work upon their lives. But Paul as the writer to them, as the preacher to them, has this tremendous responsibility of praying for others because it's his passion. And that responsibility is passed down upon to us today. And if this one month is about anything, it's that, that we've got to pray for each other. So often we we can get pray for ourselves and often we, we can get consumed sometimes with our own needs and our own desires our own calling our own destiny our own journey whatever we want to call it but it's our own and actually what paul's letters does it takes his uh, eyes off himself and he puts it onto the others. He puts it onto other people because not only are they his passion, but they're his calling as well. But, but how does Paul prove that here with this letter in Ephesus? Notice in verse 16, he says, he remembers them in his prayers as a sign of the commitment he made to them when he planted the church in Ephesus. Paul was in Ephesus for two years. Before he leaves, it says that in Acts 20, verse 36, he he kneels down with them and he prays for them. And so every time he writes to them, and this letter here is proof of that, he says he's remembering them all in his prayers because he knows them. He knows who he's talking to. He knows who he's talking about and he knows what's going on there. So that commitment comes out to say, we're praying for you. And now often at times, and I'm guilty of this, so I'm not going to point the finger. If the Holy Spirit convicts you, that's your choice. has nothing to do with me. That's his choice, nothing to do with me. But often at times when people say to us, will you pray for me? Will, 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 you, will you pray and we say yes no no and, and how many often times do we just we either forget or it's a busyness of life or other things come along or what people say to us is actually really you want me to pray about that it's not really that important but yes I'll pray for you sorry I'm thinking that I don't actually say those words but that's that's the thing and, and yet Paul here he simply knows that he remembers them because he remembered a time that he knelt down with them all and he prayed for them Uh, And so he writes this letter here uh, in his preaching, but now he's praying. And he says, well, for this reason. And Paul gives us the reason why he's praying in the opening verses. Now, if you know anything of uh, Ephesians chapter one, uh, which I'm sure people have read quite a few times, uh, the uh, Ephesians chapter one opens up really with all the spiritual blessings that arise in Christ Jesus. Uh, And so Paul gives them that's the reason why he's praying that those first 14 verses outlines God's sovereignty, it outlines God's redemption, it outlines God's saving plan for mankind. It simply speaks about the spiritual riches that are ours in Christ Jesus. And so Paul does that in these first 14, 15 verses, and he brings them to the point where they understand everything about the spiritual riches that are theirs in Christ Jesus. But riches are only any good to you if you possess them, if if you can take hold of them. Yeah. And in these verses here, when Paul prays for them, he wants them to understand these are all your spiritual riches. These are all the things that God has done for you by giving you your chosen, uh, you're redeemed, you're saved, you're washed in the blood, and all of these things that you read in Ephesians 1. There are spiritual riches. But as Paul prays for them, and we'll see this in a second, he says, there's no point having spiritual riches if you don't take possession of them. If you don't take spiritual, because he's talked about the security from the Father, salvation from the Son, and then the work of it all sealed by the Holy Spirit. So Paul then comes, and this is the reason why he's praying for the church here in Ephesians, because he says, in the same way, uh, your prayers for the spiritual growth and the enlightenment for of others is exceptionally important because that's what Paul is doing here he wants not just to pray Lord bless them Lord keep them Lord provide for them Lord heal them he says actually he's going a bit deeper here Because he's explained to them what God has done. And then he's explaining, well, how can you have this in your life? How do you possess these things in your life? And Paul makes that commitment here. Because even in these verses that we're reading, it says these three things. It says, uh, I have not stopped praying. I keep asking in my prayers. I pray. Three times in these five verses, Paul shows his commitment But the reason, the other reason that he's praying is this, is uh, he's heard about them. He's heard about what they're doing, whether it be through somebody's written him a letter, somebody's travelled through the town, he's heard about what's going on in Ephesus. And there are two things that have stood out about the church in Ephesus. It's simply their faith in Christ Jesus and their love for others. He's heard about that, and that is why he's saying that's the reason. He's given the reason why he's praying for them. He's heard about their faith in Christ and their love for others, so he wants to continue to keep praying. There are two signs of life in every believer and every church. Faith in Jesus and love for others. It is those that are measured, if you want to know, if they are growing. There are many, many things I can go to that talk about church growth. I can go on the website, I can buy books, I can buy programs, I can analyze information about people that come into church and talk about is your church growing and some of the stuff we have done and all of this. But the reality is, Paul just says this: he says, How do you know if a believer is growing? do you know if your church is growing their faith in Christ is growing and their love for others is growing those are the two signs of growth those are the two signs that he mentioned here and those are the two signs that every believer and every church need if they're going to grow some of these other things that people present to you are helpful but really marked up against this if you want to know if people are growing is their faith in Christ growing and is their love for others growing Paul had heard about both things and he sees in their conversion and transformation this wonderful example of God's gracious intervention in their lives. So Paul ties his prayer to what God has done in them because he thanks God because it is God and God alone who makes the changes in people's lives. There is nothing more rewarding in the Christian life, in church work, in ministry, whatever you want to call it, than seeing God take hold of somebody's life after they're saved and uh, fulfil a wonderful purpose in them. There's nothing greater than that. But it's all for god's glory it's not about us it's never about us it's always for god's glory and there's nothing more satisfying there's nothing more rewarding than seeing that transformation in somebody's life there are people in here whose lives have been transformed by what god has done in their life that's the most rewarding thing that can happen in the christian walk and paul understands that because he ties his thankfulness to what god has done in their life he said well i thank god for them he says, I thank God for them. He says, I thank God that their faith in Christ is growing and their love for others is growing. And you know what his prayer is? His prayer was simply this. Lord, continue to do your good work. Lord, continue to do your good work. Lord, you've started a good work in their lives. Continue to do the good work that you're doing. We can see the evidence of it. Lord, would you continue to do the good work? Our prayers must never be like this. When we are irritated by what somebody else does, Lord, shine a light on what irritates me in their life. That's not the prayer that we pray. We can often pray that prayer because it's a selfish prayer. Paul's prayer here teaches us this. He simply teaches, Lord, continue, let your growth continue in their lives. Continue your growth in them. God, continue your work in them. Continue, continue, continue. And so Paul then comes to the actual prayer that he prays, and he prays for three things. And the first thing that he prays for is this he prays for that they would take hope, take hold of the hope of their calling that they would know their inheritance in God and that they would receive his power in their life. Paul's prayer starts for them that God would give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation. simply this, so that they would know him better. What a wonderful prayer. Often the greatest prayers are the simplest prayers. They're, They're the simplest prayers. Paul's prayer was God give them knowledge, give them revelation, give them wisdom. Why? So they would know you better. I mean, it's simple, isn't it? It just comes and he says, that's why they need to have the wisdom and the revelation and the knowledge that the Holy Spirit will give them. You see, that's simply the prayer. And so this Christian life must demonstrate that purpose is simply to know God as he is in truth, as revealed by his word, and simply correct any false ideas that we may have of who God is. And this comes back to the thing, and I've mentioned this probably throughout the year so far, what's important and what's essential. Here's another one. It is important we understand who we are, but it's essential that we understand who God is. So it's important that we understand who we are, but it's essential that we understand who God is. Uh, and so paul makes him, helps them to understand that to know him requires that wisdom and revelation and the holy spirit is the source of both now i'm not talking about knowledge acquired by reading a, a theological book or or something like you know that sort of helps you become more intelligent and and and, and clever in a sense so those things are helpful He says, this is not the spirit of wisdom and knowledge that is being spoken about. It's knowledge that applies wisdom to help us live better for God. Why would... Paul Paul writes that because they're living in Ephesus. And we know the background of the city of Ephesus is basically a city of sin and debauchery. And so they have got to make choices based on their knowledge. To make the right choice based on your knowledge of God is called wisdom. Wisdom is making the right choices. It's all right having all the knowledge in the world. But if you didn't make the right choices, you don't have wisdom. And wisdom and knowledge have always got to go together. You see, revelation is the word of God coming alive to apply what you have heard and read to the way that you live. And Paul wants them to have this as well. He wants them to have that revelation so they can apply whatever they've heard, whatever they've read, uh, whatever they've spoken about to apply it to their lives so they live in the correct way. Why? Because I think this is wonderful what God does and the prayer that Paul has is God reveals and enables us to grasp what He reveals? What I mean by that is this is is when we receive revelation, when he gives us revelation of something, if he wants to teach us something, God reveals something to us, but then enables us to grasp and understand what he reveals. It is the confirmation of the revelation that God has given us through his word. So when we read it, he gives us the ability through the Holy Spirit to grasp what it is that he has revealed. So they would understand that this is the hope of their calling the hope to which they are called. So they understand this is what God has done for them, which we read about in the first uh, opening verses of Ephesians. But now they've come to the point that actually God wants to give them, and Paul's praying this for them, as part of the hope of their calling, the wisdom and the knowledge and the revelation to simply make the right choices and to live the right way. Paul's prayer next is simply this, that they would know of the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Now, we usually only think of inheritance in in God in a sense of our part of it. But Paul wanted the Ephesians to understand that they are so precious to God that he considered them his own inheritance. How, How do I mean by that? Well, listen, what God has done, he's done through us. Who God is, he is through us. We're his ambassadors. We're his representatives uh, to the world today. Uh, and the example of that is this is what God has done in somebody's life and how he has changed them through saving them. We are the example to the world, not necessarily by the words that we say, but by the words, by the things that we do, the way that we live. You see, we would look at it and say, well, hold on a second. We're spiritually poor. How can we offer God anything? How can we find anything? any inheritance yet God can make riches out of poor men and women because simply he's invested so much in them beginning at the table beginning at the cross by what he's done and Paul is trying to help them to understand that not only do they have a great hope of their calling in God Excuse me, but they also have as well a glorious inheritance. He's invested his riches of love, wisdom, suffering, riches of his glory. This is the inheritance that we have today. Each and every one of us have while we are here this morning. It's the stuff that we pray for as we come and pray for one another. We receive the riches of his glory as part of his inheritance simply because we are his inheritance we are his inheritance he says what he's done he has done in us what he does he does through us and so we're the inheritance of what god has done and paul prays that. and paul's moving away from these prayers of 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 let's pray lord bless them lord provide for them lord heal them which are okay but he's giving them something deeper the lord help them to understand as we pray the hope of the calling that you have upon their life god help them to understand the glorious inheritance that he says because what happens today for most believers or for most people in churches is they're almost living on this level down here thinking of today with no thought of the future or for eternity What Paul is doing, he's doing the opposite. He's actually telling them to think, hold on, think of the future and think of eternity. Because in praying for others, you're helping people understand it's not what it's about here. It's not what it's about with the stuff that we're going through day in, day out. God has a bigger picture. It's the hope of our calling. It's the inheritance that we have in him but the final thing that he prays for and this obviously is the most powerful one is Paul prays for the power that the people would know it experience it and live in it now he just doesn't talk about any power here he talks about the very power that raised his son from the dead he says well, I think of that immense power that he did that we might only think of that on resurrection sunday paul reminds us here and simply says this he says not that you would receive power but you would receive the power that raised my son from the dead and seated him at my right hand if we just grasp hold of that do you know what we're guilty of sometimes as church leaders we substitute program and performance for prayer and power and guilty of that stand up here and say yes i have done that we don't quite trust that the prayer and the power thing will show up and work so we make sure the program and the performance is polished And actually what we've done is we've substituted one for the other and we've ended up with a generation growing up in church that thinks it's about the program and they think it's about the performance when actually for each and every one of us it's about the power and it's about the prayer. Because the power that is promised to us is the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead and seated him at the right hand of God in the heavenly realms. And you see, what I've looked at and thought, if I get the programme right and if I get the performance right, and I give you an example that brings it down to the level that we, we will understand in church, if we put a special service on that is, is great testimonies and wonderful worship and a tremendous preacher, we may pack the place out. If we tell the church there's a prayer meeting on, there'll be 20% of the same people at the one thing that there will be at another. Now, I'm not making you feel guilty. The Holy Spirit does that. But what I am saying is this, is there is the evidence of us as churches and believers exchanging power and prayer for performance and program. And we've got to make sure that we turn it on its head and i'm not saying that program and performance is is not important yes it is it's important to have program it's important to do that what i'm saying is this we must elevate prayer and power above everything else because if that same power is available to us why on earth wouldn't i use it Why on earth would I not dig into that power source or plug in to that power source? You see, somebody said this. He said, if the death of Christ is the supreme demonstration of the love of God, the resurrection of Christ is the supreme demonstration of his power. Paul wants them to know God's incomparable great power. He's compared it, as I've already said, to that which raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly realm that power that we read about there is that power that's available to us within here by the holy spirit have i ever experienced that have i ever known that in my praying for others because paul's talking about praying for the ephesian church here and he's saying this is what's available this is the comparison here and so do we reach into that and plug into that You see, that same power that works in us, the same power raised him from the dead. And so we come with that challenge because that is a challenge there's no way around that in this prayer that paul writes i can't avoid it i can't just sort of skip past it i've got to look at it and say well this is what paul's saying to them as he prays for them this is what's available that he prays that prayer that those people might know him better through their calling that they might know his inheritance but they also may know his power and you see these things are not beyond us We should be praying for them for ourselves, but also we should be praying for them for others. Where we come to a lack of understanding and a lack uh, of almost grasping what goes on, that's where the faith comes in. And We worship anyway, because we don't always understand what's going on. But but what I want us to do is, is and there's a practical aspect to each of the weeks that we do this. And this is the practical point that we finish with. We don't just want to pray for God to bless someone this week. What we want to do is we want to pick somebody and maybe let's pray that prayer that Paul prays uh, for the church, for somebody that we just, in a sense, adopt in our prayer life this week. could be somebody that's coming into your mind now. Not that you would pray, Lord, bless them. Lord, provide for them, Lord, give them the need. Let's not pray those prayers because we prayed a lot of those prayers. Let's pray these prayers. God, would you give them an understanding of the hope of their calling? God would you want to give them a grasp of the inheritance that 's theirs in, in in you? God would you help them to take hold of the power? that is available to them. The same power that raised your son from the dead and seated him at the heavenly realms. I wonder if we did that as we pick somebody today because there has to be a practical aspect for this praying that is more than just a saying, we'll read the devotional book every day or we'll pray when we're driving or we'll pray when we're doing this or we'll pray, but actually something intentional that says, I'm going to pick somebody and I'm going to say, God, this is a person I'm going to pray for, for this next week. God, that they would understand Understand the hope of your calling your glorious inheritance and the power that is available to them this week and I wonder if we did that Because one, it would break the power of us just doing the same thing over and over again. As as Einstein said, it says the definition of insanity is to keep doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. That's insanity. So let's do something different. Let's pick these three things and let's pick one person and let's pray for them. This week, every day, one person alone and just say, I've got to pray for them. Those three things that Paul writes in his prayer. I follow along in the devotional book as I come and pray on Tuesday night. uh, As I don't even have to let them know I'm praying for them. Don't even have to send them an encouraging text or anything I just need to just pray for them. Paul does this. He writes to them. He preaches to them. But most importantly, he prays for them. Let's take hold of that this week as we begin to pray for one another. Let's pray. Father, we come before you father we believe that we cannot speak on prayer without it being challenging the father god that we can continue to do what we're doing and father we can miss so much that you have for us father as your servant wrote to the church there in ephesus he wanted them to grasp those three things a hope of their calling their glorious inheritance and the power that was available to them And God, we pray for us as a church, as we gather, as we are challenged, as you speak to us. God, that you would do a work in our lives as we try not to just drift into prayer over this next month. But we become intentional that as we move out of the situation that we've been in for the last year, we become intentional about our praying for one another. God, we don't just want to pray that you would bless them and heal them and provide for them. God, we want to pray those deeply significant spiritual things into their lives, Father. Father, we do it out of love, we do it out of care, and we do it out of concern. And we do it as Paul did it, because his passion was people. And God, we want to grow as a people. And we will grow, Lord, because people are praying for us and we are praying for others. And Father, help us to be committed to this today. In Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.